Welcome to the Lucas Miles Show. I'm your host, Lucas Miles. Welcome to the Lucas Miles Show. I'm your host, Lucas Miles, and I am excited to bring you the first part of a two-part series with my special guest, Billy Hollowell. Billy's a dear friend of mine. He's been on the show a couple times now, I think. I actually have Billy to thank for a lot of the things I'm involved in, honestly. I don't know if I've said that to him in person or not, so hopefully hopefully he hears this. But Billy was working at The Blaze at the time when my book, Good God, released and he interviewed me on The Blaze, and that's where we first met. And the article and the interview that he released, I mean, it kind of just exploded. And all sorts of feedback and people asking questions about the book of Job and trying to figure out deeper things about what I believed in relationship to good God and God's sovereignty. And Billy was just really great in kind of guiding me through some of that initial media storm that I experienced with the book and ended up, Billy moved over to Faithwire, which Faithwire hosts my podcast show now. He spent uh, some time there, got me in on Faithwire, and they've just been wonderful to me. And then Billy has transitioned over to PureFlix here recently and is the director of communications and content at PureFlix, which he talks about on this episode as well. Billy Hollowell is one of the most respected faith journalists in the country. He's got an incredible resume. Follow him on Twitter. He's super active there at Billy Hollowell, Facebook as well. You won't regret it. And on this episode, we talk quite a bit about some of the recent legislation that's been passed regarding late-term abortion. Billy gives, I think, just a very wise and compassionate approach to how do we deal with that as believers and how do we how do we navigate speaking out about that issue. We also talk about Billy's thoughts on the State of the Union, on how President Trump is doing, and also his approach to social media. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Again, it's a two-part episode. So this is part one, and join me next week for part two. Billy Hollowell, welcome to the Lucas Miles Show. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we actually probably should both be at the National Prayer Breakfast right now because I think it's still going on as we speak. So we were we were last year, right? We were. It was just it's just getting there. It's you know it's a lot. You know it's it's a nice place to be. I was a little bummed that I didn't go this year, but I love reading about it and seeing. I think I've gone the last like three years, so it's kind of strange not being there. Fabulous event, and yeah, we did the press dinner there. Last year, but let's we'll set a date. Uh, so I'll see you next year at uh, the National Prayer Breakfast. So and that and that secretive dinner the night before. Which oh yes, that's very secretive. Very secretive. <laughs> <laughs> the so last time that I attempted to record with you, Matthew Faraci was in the room and we hadn't slept at all, and it was like super late. And oh yeah, frankly, Liveraci. Yes, yes, I forgot about it was. That. Su- I mean. We had a conversation and it got recorded, but it probably won't surface until I run for president. It'll you know, exa- it's going down to the road. <laughs> Someone's going to leak it. And I love that we thought we were so competent and on point, and it's the most <laughs> unhinged conversation ever. It's insane. It's not even. And I, I remember thinking, this is a great conversation. And then the next morning, I'm like, what did we talk? Like, what yeah, was that? I had a lot of regrets. <laughs> <laughs> So, so now that we've had a little bit more sleep, you know, it's 1020 uh, Eastern time right now. What's going on in your life, Billy Hollowell? Oh, life. I feel like life is crazy. You know, it's been like, 
there's a lot going on. So I'm working at PureFlix now. So I'm, I'm working on a lot of fun projects. And one of them that I don't know if I should talk about, but I'm going to, is this series about Columbine and revisiting Columbine and the shooting that happened with the 20th anniversary coming up. So I won't go into all the details about that, but it's kind of been exciting because it's one of the first things that I've produced and really had a chance to kind of work on from start to finish down the line from choosing people and setting up the interviews and all of that. So it's been a lot of, you know, and I don't want to frame it this way. It's been a lot of fun working on it, but it's obviously very sad. And you, you have some history with that, with that project. What's weird is that, you know how things happen in life where God kind of like puts something in front of you and you're like, I have no idea why this is in front of me, but you know, there's, it's like a thread. It just keeps coming back. And, you know, I won't go through all of the details, but when I was 15, you know, teenager, uh, the Columbine shooting happened and yeah, I was pretty freaked out by it. I lived in New York, so I was nowhere near Colorado. And I just remember watching TV. I was homesick that day on April 20th, 1999. And I remember walking into the house with my dad, turning the TV on and just being horrified like everybody else was by the images on the screen, the kids running out of the school and thinking, oh my gosh, this could happen, you know, at my school, it could happen anywhere. And so that was kind of the the launch point, I mean, I was a kid, but I really wanted to launch a local talk show. I grew up in Rochester, New York, a local talk show where we could kind of address issues that teenagers were going through. And as a teenager, I thought, oh, I'm uniquely qualified to, you know, <laughs> to do that. And so I met with producers. I mean, I really pushed the idea pretty far, but what came out of it was obviously nobody wanted to fund anything at that point. But the producers I was meeting with, and actually a dear friend, Gert Houston, who passed away, she was one of the producers who spent a lot of time with me. We'd meet up, we would talk, we would you know, talk through this, this idea. And she said, you should launch a website. And so I did launch a website called Teen Web Online, which is now gone. But Teen Web was sort of like a resource to try to fight violence and discrimination and you know, really try to rally and give young people a place to go. And that was kind of before the internet blew up, right? Before we had blogs and all that. And that was the launch point for me, just speaking. The and rise of Billy Hollowell. That's it's, this is what you're describing right now. So there you go. I won't go any further, but that's the, that was the launch pad for me. And But that story, I became friend, really good friends with a couple of the survivors when we were teenagers, and we we're still good friends. And I'm 35 now, so it's been 20 years. And you know, but everywhere I go, everywhere I work, this story comes back. And there was an opportunity to do this you know, three-part series. And so it was just kind of crazy how God weaved it all together, you know? How, how did you at, as a high school kid, know producers? I mean, is that just part, does everybody in New York just know producers? I mean, did I miss out on that being here in Indiana? What's, what's the secret there? No, I started stalking people. I mean, it was sort of like one of those things where you're the annoying kid. That was a lot harder to do back then too. I mean, you, you know, now I mean, you couldn't just hop on Twitter and make that. Was that MySpace? I mean, where were you finding these people? I would, I mean, I would make phone calls. I, I started looking in the phone book, you know, and, and it ha- just so happened that Gert Houston was a local producer, but she did national projects. She, she worked for banks. She did commercials. She, I think she did shows. I mean, she was all over the place, but she happened to live in Geneseo, which wasn't far from Rochester. And so there was something, I don't remember our first conversation, but there was something about my call to her that really piqued her interest. And she really wanted to do something. And so over the years, I mean, we kept in contact. She passed away a few years ago after a battle with cancer. But she was really, you know, kind of inspirational to me as a kid, just like, hey, she's taking interest in this idea that I had. And so I always try to think through, like, how can we encourage teenagers? Because, like, let's say everybody was like, you're stupid. This is an idiotic idea. Don't do it. You know, the show never happened. But I always knew I wanted to do, like, a talk show. I wanted to host 
things. That was just something that God had put in me. And so I've had the opportunity to do fun things like that now, you know, in life. And it's just, I don't know, sometimes I think there's a passion and you know this, that's like put in you early on. And sometimes you don't know why. And I still don't fully know why, but you start to see those pieces come together. Awesome. That's, that's really cool. I, th- I think that that's probably a, a huge topic. You know, now it's, there's obviously maybe a different path for people starting off in, you know, business of journalism or, or content creation or whatever, you know, terms we want to throw at it now. And you can kind of, you know, you can kind of do that on your own social media platforms and start there, which obviously was not as available to us, you know, when we were growing up and I got a few years, you know, on you, not many, just, I think I got four. I think that it's, it's not as encouraged in a sensical, logical, professional manner today as it probably could be. You know, it's become so casual in a lot of ways. So those are probably some skill sets that people need to hear, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, I think that I have an annoying... And I, you're kind of like this too. You have this like annoying quality, which is not bad. It's a good quality. When I say annoying, it's, it's positive. I just want to encourage my listeners not to listen to a word of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, of like, hey, you know, I need to catch this person. I need, I need to talk to them. I'm going to figure out how to get to them. And I think you just have to kind of be bold sometimes. And, and I was not always bold. I was afraid to sometimes do it, but make the phone call, put yourself out there. I mean, I used to write letters. I wanted this, this talk show so bad. I'd write letters as a teenager to Nickelodeon, to whoever would listen. And I'd be like, hey, I have this idea. And you know, there are a lot of contacts that came through that. People I still talk to, you know, 20 years later, it's crazy. You have to, I think you've got to really try to figure out, okay, what does God want me to do? And I really wasn't seeking that as a teenager because I didn't fully understand. I grew up in a Christian home, but I didn't know like, okay, I need to go after whatever God's plan is for me, but yet still, you know, found myself on that, on that path. And I really hope, you know, this Columbine project, I I can't go into too many details right now, but I really hope that it has an impact on people because that's what really matters is just whatever we put out there, leaving people with something to really think about, especially when it comes to faith and connecting with God. Love it. That's awesome. Can't wait to see how that turns out and to check it out. Uh, I'm assuming that's something that will be available on PureFlix streaming platform. Can we say it that? It will be. It will also be available on Facebook Watch, most likely. So, and, and that should probably be happening around the beginning of April. So very soon. Okay, very cool. Are you looking to stay connected with current events, culture, religion, and all sorts of other news? Then faithwire.com is the place to do that. Hop over there, make sure and check out faithwire.com, the exclusive home to the Lucas Miles Show. Also for all things news, especially with positivity. It's so easy to get bombarded by all the negative news that's out there. And that's one reason why I love faithwire.com and why I've chosen to work with them for the launch of the Lucas Miles Show. It's just a great place to be able to go and get all of your information in one place. Stay connected with the world's happenings and leave with a smile. So check out faithwire.com and make sure and like them on Facebook. And now back to our guest on the Lucas Miles Show. You've transitioned a little bit from a life of journalism to life in Christian, in one of the leaders of Christian media at PureFlix, your communications director. Is that your title? Or they give you something fancier than that? It is, yeah. Director of Communications and Content. Yeah. Uh, okay. I knew it was going to be fancier than what I said. So <laughs> I don't know if it's fancier, but you know, it's got a couple extra words. So what all do you do as the director of communications and content? You know, like a lot of it's interesting because my job before was to tell people stories and to kind of just like that's the product you're marketing, right? Like you're you're telling a story, you're writing a story, you're encouraging people to read and understand and get knowledge and be inspired. 
this is a lot of that. I mean, I'm writing a lot of stories. I, I write about 25 stories a month for the Pureflix Insider. So anybody listening, you go to insider.pureflix.com. It's, it's a daily blog. You know, we've got all sorts of content, Bible verse content. And I do, you know, similar to what you're doing here, I do a podcast. We just launched the Pureflix podcast. I also spend a lot of time working with the team on, you know, original projects. We have, if you go to pureflix.com, a lot of people know Pureflix as a movie company. It's also a streaming, a digital streaming company, just like, you know, with Netflix, you have movies, you, you pay in and you get movies and TV shows. The same thing goes for Pureflix, faith and family friendly titles, and there are thousands of them. And so we, we work on kind of, okay, what projects are coming out? How do we get those out to the public? And so I get a chance to do a lot of fun things, both you know, behind the scenes, in front of the camera. We, we have a show, Pure Talk, that we've been doing for a while now. And so we're just about to film some more episodes of that. Which is really just a sit-down, you know, show where, where I talk to you know pastors and Christian leaders, and you, in fact, have been on that show, Mr. Miles. I have, in fact, yes. That was uh, last. Was that last year at the National Religious Broadcasters? I also went to a taping of the show over in L.A. when we were there, and yes. those guys got a much better location than I got. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you were on the floor at a convention. That that was fun. That was a, the one in Burbank was at a nice church there. But yeah, so we. You know, we're always trying to find interesting people we can talk to who the audience wants to hear from. And I think, like, you know this, there's so much garbage in entertainment and people want something that's going to uplift them. They want something that they can put their kids on and say, hey, go ahead, you're going to be safe. Like, go ahead and watch this platform. You can't always do that with Netflix and some of the others. So it's fun. I mean, there's something new every day. It's kind of crazy. How much do you miss being in the political the political world? You know, it's interesting. I Someday, most days, I don't miss it a lot. But, you know, when the State of the Union happens or there's some big event, there's part of me that's kind of like, oh, gosh, I do miss that rush of like finding the interesting thing, covering it, putting it out there. Did you live tweet the whole event? Yeah, I did. I did this year. <laughs> I, I did. I live tweeted it. And I think I've gotten myself in a little bit of hot water because I won't stop talking about the abortion issue because it's just been driving me crazy. I had somebody challenge me on that here recently, and they, they were very, very pleasant about it. And But they they were a Christian. And they said, hey, I just like, I don't, I want to encourage you not to go too political and to make sure that, you know, Jesus is the forefront. And, you know, have you ever had, because I had a response to that, which I'll tell you here in a second, but I'm curious, have you had people say something like that? Like, do you get, do you get attacked from both sides or is that just something because I'm a pastor that people throw at me? Yeah, no, I do. I think people assume that when I talk about, when I talk about abortion, the only time I talk about laws is late term. You know, I try to really restrict it to that. Like, do we need protections for late term? I think outside of that, I try to talk more about we have to change people's hearts. You know, we can fight about the law all day long. The reality is you're not going to dismantle, you're probably not going to dismantle Roe versus Wade. And, you know, and and that's not going to change people's perspective on it. It's not going to bring people in to understand. But I do get a lot of people, I mean, even in the last 24 hours, I've had people on the pro-choice side attacking me. One of the founders of the Shout Your Abortion movement, you know, kind of you know, snapping back a little bit. And then you've got people on the Christian side who might be more progressive who say, oh, you're wrong. But then you do have people who you know, say, oh, you're divisive. You're being divisive. And the goal is not to be divisive. I think it's about what your motivation is. The motivation is keep asking this question of what, you know, for instance, what condition does a woman have at 25 weeks that would require her to have an abortion on a completely healthy baby? I'm not talking about tragic circumstances where a baby's sick. Like, what is that condition? And so, you know, when I'm persistent about that, yeah, you, you get people saying, uh, you should just be quiet or stop or you're you know, being a rabble rouser. It's like, no, I just want to know. Tell me. 
No, I think it's a great perspective. And you know, my response was, I think that the majority of situations helping somebody to get established and who they are in Christ, you know, that heart change that you're talking about is always the best long-term solution and, and oftentimes the best short-term solution. But when you have situations that are, you know, there is a, a life threatening aspect to it. You know, the fact that somebody today and probably lots of people today are on their way, like right this second to an abortion clinic to have an abortion. Like that's happening in the U.S. right now. And, and so, you know, it's the same way if somebody's in a burning building, I don't go in there and say, hi, I'm here to save you. Can I tell you about Jesus? You know, and then pull them out. Like, no, we just get them out of the building and then we can minister to the other, you know, aspects of their life, spiritual needs, et cetera, later on once they're physically safe enough to be able to receive that. And I think that, you know, because of the, the the issue of that there's there's literally lives at stake of this when you when you actually recognize the the weight of what's happening i think that it necessitates some sort of swift decisive action up against specifically the laws that you're referring to you know regarding late term abortion i think that has to be dealt with and it's it never was a huge issue for me as a Christian, I mean, I, I would I would have said, hey, I'm pro-life, everything else. When my wife and I had our miscarriage, which would have been about seven years ago, that would, you know, to this day would be our only child. And after that, it all of a sudden became a lot more real because we felt the emotion of that child that hadn't been born yet. And I just went really deep on this thing and heavy all of a sudden. But but I mean, that that's that weight there. I'm glad you did because I think that there's a real disparity here. And and this was something that I asked yesterday on Twitter, but I want to first talk about what you just said, because I think, you know, it's so, first of all, I'm sorry. And I, I know about that. Obviously we've talked about that in the past and I, it's a really traumatic thing, no matter what point you're in in a pregnancy for a woman to lose a child in miscarriage. And it's interesting because the way we talk about miscarriage, the mourning, the sadness, the the horror of feeling like you had this life in you that's gone and the way we talk about abortion, they don't add up. They don't mesh culturally. You know, on one hand, we pretend it's not a baby. On the other hand, we know when we lose inherently, when we go through that, and I've gone through it too, that we've lost something. And we know that. And, and that's, that's a human reaction to it. And yet, and yet on the other side, there's sort of this either blindness to it or willful you know, ignorance, or you've been lied to about what it really is. And so you have to address that. And I think a cult culture has to say, well, is it a life? Is it not? Because that's the most important question. But beyond that, when we talk about late term abortion, if what God, Kermit Gosnell, the Philadelphia abortion doctor did, which was, and I don't want to go too graphic on your podcast, but snipping the spines of babies after they were born. We have an R rating. So <laughs> there, there you go. Snipping the spines of babies after they were born. If that's illegal, and, it, and obviously I think it should be, then why five minutes before a few inches away inside of a woman, would it not have been illegal? You know, morally, I'm not talking about legally. We know why legally, but like morally, why is that different? And I don't think people can answer that question. And so when you can't answer that question, you have a real problem. I, I think that's, it's huge. And it's, it's just one of those things that it's like, you know, we are, we are what seems to be on this quick slide into it's i mean this isn't just new york making a law i mean there's already what 7 to 10 states or something like that that have laws allowing late term abortion and the number just seems to be climbing and my hope is that 
these recent more public and political bills that have been passed in, in these various states are going to create more of an awareness, which are, is actually going to you know do things like what it did in, in Iowa with the with the response of a heartbeat bill. And I'm hoping that more and more of that happens. But I know, you know, I'm in a very conservative state here in Indiana. I was just down at the state house actually two days ago, and we still have a ways to go here in our state to to really make sure that that especially this late term issue has been fully dealt with. And I know there's a lot of work on it, but you know, this is is this isn't this isn't just going away on its own. I don't believe without people like you and I and others that are out there speaking up, taking action on it. Yeah, and I think you know, you've got to have honest conversations with people too. I think where where it gets murky, and I think and I will openly say that I think this is a real challenge. To me, when you end a heartbeat, it's always morally wrong. Okay. But I understand what there are circumstances. If you're three months pregnant, the baby's not viable and you have a very aggressive cancer that you've been diagnosed with. And this actually does happen. I mean, it's rare, but it happens. And you're finding yourself faced with you're a mother of three, you're finding yourself faced with this situation of what do I do? Do I wait? Three, two, three months till the baby's viable. Do I start treatment now and risk the baby? I, I can't say, you know, any more than, wow, that is a really, I mean, we have to be praying for those people. That's a horrific situation to be in. You know, I don't, I think we, we have to kind of talk through those things with people and, and understand them and realize, okay, you know, that has happened. Okay. I know that's happened. But when we're talking about, and this is why I spend a lot of time on late, on late term abortion, you know, this claim that nobody's having late term abortions on demand, I, I'm sure 99% of people aren't. But when we talk about a small percentage of possibility, you know, why, if it's not happening, here's the argument, if it's not happening at all, and that's the argument people are making on the pro-choice side, then why not have laws to protect against it? There's nothing to worry about then. It's not happening. It's right. not happening. Right. To me, it's better to have the law to <laughs> protect a very specific law, a late-term baby, than it is to just leave a loophole open and hope that it's not happening. That just seems crazy to me. It, absolutely. And, and nobody thought that Gosnell was happening. Nobody thought that some of these other situations, you know, were, were taking place either until they were, you know, these guys were uncovered. And so I think that, I think you're right. I think that over legislation for the sake of protection of the unborn is one situation where I'm okay with a little bit more legislation than what maybe, maybe what we even need just to make sure that that, you know, that those types of horrific events don't continue. Well, and that, yeah, and yeah, and I covered Gosnell. I was in that courtroom. I've talked to Gosnell on the phone after he went to jail, and I can tell you it. It, and I'm sure you know this from looking at it. It was a it was a horror show. I mean, it was terrible. Hmm. What what year was that? That was 2013. I for, I think 2013 he was convicted. Um, it started earlier than that. I want to say it was 2010 or 2011. But from what I recall, and I haven't looked at the case in a couple of years now. Um, you know, that whole entire fiasco started with a drug bust, you know, it had to do with the pills that were coming out of that clinic. It wasn't because the government went in and did its job and, and realized how dirty and disgusting and horrific this clinic was. It was because of some other issue. I think it was the FBI you know, that had raided the clinic that they realized, oh my gosh, there's this other stuff going on here. So there's a bigger question about how much these laws that we have on the books are actually being enforced. Are these, you know, are there other Gosnells? I would imagine, again, 99% of doctors, absolutely not. 99.9%. But can we say for certain there aren't? No, we can't. If you haven't had a chance to pick up a copy of my book, Good God, 
the one we want to believe in but are afraid to embrace, I want to encourage you to do so. It's available wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you name it, you can find Good God there. So grab a copy. You can also always get a copy at lucasmiles.org. And after you read it, I'd love to hear from you. If you liked it, hate it, shoot me a message. Let's stay in touch and make sure and keep visiting lucasmiles.org. That's all I have for you for today, but make sure and head over to iTunes and download the Lucas Miles Show and head over to faithwire.com where you can always get the Lucas Miles Show exclusively there and listen to our newest episode. We have all sorts of exciting guests, so check it out, the Lucas Miles Show.